out there. Welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. Today is going to be not such a fun episode. <laughs> um, has it been, wasn't a very fun weekend for Gamecock fans um, as they fell 48-7, to and it probably could have been worse than that if Georgia really wanted it to be. Um, to the number one George Bulldogs, who, to their credit, definitely through this part of the season, look like the clear number one team in the country. So, you know, there's no shame in losing to the number one team in the country, but we'll, we'll talk about maybe some some of the way that they lost not being particularly encouraging um, at times. But so I'm Caleb Alexander, publisher at GamecockScoop.com. Go over there, give us a look. We have tons of articles breaking down the game already. And then we'll have a couple more before we start to transition into Charlotte later in the week. Um, I'm joined by Alan Cole, who is our beat reporter. Alan and I both got to witness that massacre um, in person on Saturday. It was pretty rough. But I did want to start positive. I feel like there's probably, it's it's already Monday, it's 3 o'clock. Most of the negative stuff has been said. We are going to go through some of those things, maybe try to give our own angle on it. But yeah, what what positives can you take away from this game or from the first uh, three games of the season thus far? Um, biggest positive, and I guess I did. We, we did kind of talk about this Thursday leading in for what could be positive. Nobody else got hurt, really. I mean, I guess Jalen Nichols didn't play. We That was a surprise when we got to the stadium. We saw he wasn't warming up. It was Ja'Kai Moore at left tackle. Um, but for the most part, they stayed pretty clean. Even Warrior was in the tent for a little bit in the second quarter, but he came out. Um, Shane Beamer said on the teleconference last night that they're hoping to have all the guys they miss. That would be Corey Rucker, Cam Smith, David Spaulding, Boogie Huntley, RJ Roderick, and of course, Jalen Nichols. Uh, have those guys all back for Charlotte. Whether that's going to happen, I don't know. We'll talk to Beamer tomorrow and hear him again Thursday. But sounds like some injury things are trending better and then it's probably not what south carolina fans want to hear even though it is a positive two-thirds of the toughest part of the schedule is gone you went to arkansas lost played georgia lost still gonna have clemson at thanksgiving weekend but the most difficult portion of the schedule is probably behind you yeah even though arkansas struggled a little bit this weekend i still think that they're legitimately a top 10 top 15 sort of team and then like we said georgia's definitely clearly the best team in the country, at least through the first three weeks of the season. I think, yeah, arguably, if you were to play the playoff between the top four teams right now, they walk away with it, <laughs> at least at the moment, if just, just based on everything we've seen. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think the schedule gets easier from here. Um, and it starts with these two weeks against Charlotte and SE State. Um, hopefully everyone's back for Charlotte, but even if they're not, you really just need to have everyone healthy for Kentucky. I think you can get by you know, uh, through these next two weeks. Charlotte did beat Georgia State, which um, was a little bit yeah. of a surprise. Um, so maybe they're, you know, going to come in a little more competitive, but still, you shouldn't have too much I, I watched this, I watched the whole second half of that game, A, because I'm a sicko, and B, because I'm scouting. But um, Charlotte gave up 596 yards, Georgia State, even in the win. Um, South yeah. Carolina should be able to do whatever it wants on offense. We'll talk about that way more later in the week or later today, but South Carolina should be able to do whatever it wants to an offense in this game. Yeah. Um, a couple more positives just from this weekend and or from the first little bit of the season. Uh, Nick, Nick and Worry, who we talked about in preseason, 
I mean, he's exceeded even those expectations, right? We talked about how he might contribute as a freshman, that he, you know, was looking good at camp, but I don't think anyone expected it to come out the way that he's coming out. He's leading the team in tackles with 24, the solo tackles. Um, and the next highest behind him is Brad Johnson with nine. Now, that does tell you something about the way the defense has been playing, that he's been having to make so many solo tackles. From, from safety, um, yeah. Right, which you, you mentioned he went into the tent. And I think like for like a couple plays in the middle of the game. And I think one of the biggest indicators of the sort of impact that Nate Memory has been making um, that maybe you don't even realize was what happened when he was in the tent. They immediately attacked that safety position when he was in the tent. Uh, Brock Bowers right down the middle is just a little dump pass and he went 70 yards for a touchdown. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's easy to overlook just how many already big plays you know five to 15 yards or whatever have been stopped short by nick and memory throughout the season that could have been a lot worse um thus far so he's looked great he leads the team in pff rating as well um last night perry mccarty on gamecocksgroup.com did a whole article breaking down the pff rating of offense and defense so far on the other side of the ball Juju McDowell leads the offensive PFF rating. Um, I think he's been a bright spot. We talked about him throughout the game while we were up there in the in the press box, just saying like, how do you not get this guy the ball? You gotta you gotta get the ball in his hands. Yeah, I put something in the live thread, which by the way, if you're looking for a place to talk Gamecock football during the games, we do a live thread during every game with our thoughts and analysis. Um, I understand that he can't bell cow. He's not going to be like the Derrick Henry type who can get the ball 35 times. He's just not big enough. But he needs to get the ball in some capacity 10 to 15 times again. And to Marcus Satterfield's credit, he did touch the ball 10 times Saturday. He had um, eight carries and two receptions. But 10, probably pushing 15 every week from here, I think, for Juju McDowell. Yeah, Yeah, and it needs to be in the relevant part of the game. He definitely played a lot with the the backups. Yeah, Right. Um, But yeah, even against the first string Georgia defense, he was making some good things happen there early. Uh, He just – he seems to – this isn't to say anything about Marshawn Lloyd's effort. I think Marshawn Lloyd's giving a lot of effort too, and I think he's looked good in spots. Just the running game in he general. Couple, has he had a couple of struggled. runs too. That I believe the first play after the fake punt, he took it like twelve or thirteen yards right up the middle. Like he had a couple flashes right. too. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but there is just something about over the past two seasons, right? Worth of seeing Juju McDowell just he makes stuff happen. It, it doesn't look like he should. It was funny whenever I was looking at the uh, players of the game feature that Perry put on the site the other day. Um, it has Marshawn Lloyd listed at 5'10", which I can't believe, maybe 5'9". And then it had Juju McDowell listed at 5'10". And I was like, no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever set up his uh, recruiting profile back in the day got, got duped there. He's probably five eight five seven seven i was gonna say yeah (laughs) Yeah. um but hey he he gets it done um the only other like i guess positive from the first couple of games that i've seen is it seems like pickens and birch have both been as advertised for the most part um but teams have been exploiting the edges and the linebackers and and specifically since jordan strawn's gotten hurt which i think uber admins played pretty well for his lack of experience, but they're still definitely going after him more. I, I was telling you earlier, unfortunately, even though he, he did play a terrible, uh, Edmund didn't play a terrible game. Unfortunately, he was all over ESPN for the next day because that's Bennett Bennett, put, a, yeah. put a move on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think Pickens and Birch have at least stepped up their game from, from last year, but the depth on the D line and the linebacker room has kind of, 
uh, overshadowed that with the way that teams have been able to exploit the perimeter run game. And That's the, the whole thing, the perimeter. I said We were sitting next to each other. I said it every couple minutes because Georgia was doing it on almost every snap, and Arkansas did too on almost every snap. The ball's going outside the numbers. The ball's going outside the hashes. That's where they want it to go, whether that's screens, whether that's off-tackle runs, whether that's quarterback runs in the case of Setson Bennett and KJ Jefferson. The ball's going outside the numbers, and South Carolina hasn't been able to do anything about that through the first quarter of the season. Yeah, and I don't really know how you fix it. There was a moment where Ben Martin Scott got in at nickel, which having Cam Smith at nickel or not having Cam Smith at nickel on Saturday definitely made an impact in some of that perimeter stuff too because he's a very solid tackler out there on the edge. Um, but there was a moment where they put Ben Martin Scott in, and I think Shane Beamer brought him up in the telecast yesterday or the teleconference yesterday as someone that had a pretty solid game. Um, so I don't know. Maybe if Cam Smith hasn't missed another week, maybe you see a little bit more of that. He's not quite the same as a former cornerback in coverage, obviously, but he can at least help in the run game a little more than um, – who did they start at nickel last week? DQ was Smith. It Rush. Uh, I think it was DQ Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Which true freshman? He didn't yeah, play that's... terrible, but I mean that's a tough spot to put a true freshman yeah, in for sure. For sure. Um. All right. Let's get to the game though. So, to try to hit on some positives, I do think, uh, you know, we're gonna get to breathe for the next couple of weeks. Um. Try to get some things right. There are some questions on whether or not that's going to be enough to correct things before you get into the rest of the SEC schedule and stuff, but at least we'll have some of those questions hopefully answered over the next few weeks. Um, so, I mean, the obvious place to start is the offense. Now, I know you say, well, Georgia scored 48 points. Why are we not criticizing the defense? And it's like, well, fair, but the defense was missing, what, six, seven people from the starting roster the first week of the season. Um, yeah. and yeah, two of those in Jordan Strawn and Mo Cobber after the season, but then they had a lot of people banged up just from Arkansas week to this week. Um, and Georgia scored about what we thought, like going in, you said you predicted 42 to 17. I predicted 42 to 27, which seems very ambitious <laughs> in retrospect. <laughs> um, but really, I mean, Georgia scored around where we thought that they would, although I think if you keep, they keep the starters in, they probably could have scored 70 sure. or whatever if they wanted um but the problem is the offense just didn't perform as well as either of us thought i mean you at least had them putting 17 on the board uh basically they got shut out i mean they scored with less than a minute left against georgia's third string defense or whatever which that was another bright spot uh i thought luke doty, luke doty looked okay uh, i mean again he's playing against backups but you're still playing against five-star backups so um he looked he looked pretty good um anyway uh, but yeah, the offense continues to struggle. And I talked about this a little bit in my rapid reaction. You talked about it yesterday as we were talking about like what's working and what's not working through the first three weeks. It kind of seems like it's twofold, right? Like I said earlier, and this may be a little harsh, but I said earlier, I'm not sure that Spencer Rattler or Marcus Satterfield right now are, com are completely satisfied with each other, <laughs> if that makes sense. Because I think there are times that Satterfield has put the offense in a decent position and then Rattler's made some sort of boneheaded read or mistake. Like on Saturday, the biggest example is you hit the deep pass to Jaheim Bell. Good play call. You put Jaheim Bell um, in a one-on-one -on -one situation. He's going to win that a lot of the time. 
Um, but then immediately after that, you call it a wheel route, which isn't a bad call necessarily. But once Rattler saw that there was a defender there, he said he tried to throw like a back shoulder throw. Yeah, to, was, that wasn't back shoulder. Uh, that was just a bad decision. <laughs> well, even if it was, you don't throw a back shoulder throw to Drew McDowell. I'm sorry. Like he's a very good athlete. He's not an elite uh, wide receiver that's going to be able to make that catch anyway. So, you, I mean, you had one-on-one coverage really there. So what you do is just try to like lead it and maybe he can run over it or maybe you just threw it away and that's that's fine. Um, instead, he throws an interception, kills all momentum on that drive. South Carolina is only down 7 nothing at that point. Um, so you're really squandering a chance to make it interesting in the first half to keep the – the home crowd in it in the first half to put some pressure on Georgia. Um, but then we also talked on Saturday that great. Sometimes Rattlers made some weird mistakes, but it just seems like there's no real identity to this offense through the first three weeks of the season. Um, I know you wrote a good bit about that both last week after the Arkansas game and yesterday. So I don't know if you want to speak on that a little. Yeah. It's just one of those things. It's, and this is kind of how I explain it to you Saturday. Like if I tell you right now, Arkansas did what it wanted to do. I don't have to explain anymore. You get it. If I tell you right now, Georgia did what it wanted to do. I don't have to explain it. You know what that means? If I told you South Carolina did what it wanted to do, you're going to look at me confused because we don't know what they want to do. We don't know what that looks like. I don't think Marcus Satterfield knows what that looks like. I definitely don't think Spencer Rattler knows what that looks like right now. And that's what the next two weeks have to be all about more than anything to me. Um, Obviously, they're playing two teams who are going to be way overmatched talent-wise, physically at the line of scrimmage, perimeter, all that. You need to figure out – I said this to Perry earlier. When you get on the plane to Lexington in two weeks, you need to have that playbook whittled down to a point where Spencer knows what he's comfortable with and knows what he can execute. And that's what you got to figure out in these two weeks of practice and these two games. And that's what that's the biggest thing. You got to figure out how to get the ball in your playmaker's hands. I mean, we did finally see Jaheim Bell a little bit more um, in the passing game. He, he hit that long pass early in the game, and then they targeted him again later in the game. It wasn't a terrible throw. Uh, I mean, it wasn't double coverage, but it still hit Juju in the hand. I mean, not Juju, it hit Jaheim on the hands. Um, but the Georgia defender just made a great play, ripped it away from him. Um so, I mean, you got to continue to get him involved in the passing game. We didn't see them hand the ball to him at all this week, did we? Mm-hmm. Nope. And no. Josh Van had, I believe, one target, and it went from a loss of a yard. Josh Van, two catches for eight yards a quarter of the way through the season. That was your leading receiver last year. Yeah, we saw one snap to carry on Joyner. At on Wildcat, a third down, by the I, way. I say, I thought it came at a weird time. It was like third and seven. You didn't even play any, um, like – read option off of it you just it was just a straight quarterback keep around the right side away from well i will say it wasn't even quite blocked, straight but. um when i was watching the game yesterday back in beamer said this in the teleconference that was a call it rpo i guess juju mcdowell does go to the flat on that play and to carry on joiner looks that way he decides to keep it um i still don't think that's a good play call even if dk hits Juju, I don't think Juju McDowell's getting the first down there, catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage on third and seven. It was like a little satellite screen, I guess you'd call it. But there was some element of movement there, I guess. But that's still a weird play call. Yeah, fair. Uh, I'd still, even if you were going to run the R- the RPO, to me, the best form of the RPO is when you're running it as like a triple option almost. And yeah. you still had no 
read off of a running back, like right. hand read. Um, so then, yeah, the defense immediately got key, key in on the carry and joiner, which is what they did. <laughs> it didn't didn't work. Um, I'm not, but the point I guess I was bringing up is I actually want to see more uh, Wildcat here and there, but not in that situation. And that's kind of, that's another good example of what I think you're saying is it seems like um, a message board poster said this the other day, and I, I thought it was like a little bit harsh. I don't think it's quite to this degree, but it said something about like, there's a play sheet and you follow the first 10 plays of the play sheet, no matter what. And that seems to be happening now. A lot of offensive yeah. coordinators do that. And it seems like when one of something works in those first 10 plays, Satterfield's gotten off to a decent start. Uh, he, can get into a little bit of a rhythm, but if it doesn't, <laughs> he just starts throwing like everything he can. And uh, there's no consistency at all to like what's going on there. They did try to establish the run game for a little bit there after um, they were bleeding points. That that was another thing is I wrote about this in the rapid reaction, just the like weird um, inconsistency between being aggressive and being conservative that I would say that to carry and join a call that you just brought up was an example of um, conservative, there was the weird play call after the fake punt where you convert from your own 28 or 29 or whatever it was on that fake punt. And then you run the ball. Then you run the ball for three straight plays. Um, and they tried to talk about that after the game too. Right. And, and Beamer said, well, he told him that it was a four down scenario, you know, whatever. But um, throughout this game, and we talked about it in the booth that, the other day too, it seemed like there were times after Georgia got up by three scores or whatever where the aggressiveness turned off, and then it was just like, how do we limit the bleeding? And, and to me, it's like you still lost by 41 points at home, so might as well be aggressive, right? Yeah, it's weird, too. Uh, it's, you know, that third down situation, I know the one you're talking about right towards the end of the first quarter, um, and they were at, like, the Georgia – I think they were like inside the Georgia 40. They were fringe field goal range, which is also something I wrote about in my stats piece dropping tonight, that particular area of the field. Um, check that out for subscribers on Gamecock Scoop. But um, it was third and seven, and you ran that play. And to me, if you're calling, if that went the way Beamer says it did, which we've heard that a couple times this year, so there's no reason to think it didn't. And Beamer's telling Satterfield two, two downs, we're going, we're going on fourth. That's not a license to just, throw out your playbook and run it up the middle on third. I think you're, you should still be trying to pick up the first down within your game plan. And then you also have to fall back, I guess. Okay, we're going forward on fourth. That doesn't, if it's third and seven, going forward on fourth doesn't mean let's try to get two yards here. It should be, let's try to get a first down. And then we can also try again. Well, even then, right? Like you, you think about the situation there, it's third and seven. George is probably bringing... A, a blitz. I mean, they don't really have to blitz that much because their front four is so good. But um, probably bring in some some pressure or whatever. Cool. I'm cool with you with you taking a conservative play call there. But to me, the conservative play call there is a draw play or a screen. You know, it just it didn't fit the situation at all to me. But whatever. You can't question every single play call. Um, but to me, the combination of these two factors that we just brought up. Rather kind of killing his own momentum here and there by making some sort of, you know, brilliant play and then a dumb play two plays later, which has happened several times this far. I mean, I specifically remember we were talking in the Slack channel uh, during the game to some other members of our staff, and it was like, wow, what a throw. 
to throw to Gene Bell. Then literally, you know, five minutes later, the very next message, what is he thinking? You know, it's like this That's constant push pull. Um, so that mixed with what we've seen over most of the last two years with Satterfield's calling, just not really being able to find that rhythm except for a few games that it has. So that is something that I think we need to see over the next two weeks is what does this offense want to be? You have all of these skill players. We've talked about the offensive line struggles. They're still struggling for sure, but you still got to find a way to, to get the, the ball in space to your playmakers. And that just hasn't happened consistently enough over the first three weeks. I would like to see one bubble screen to Josh Van. Literally one. Just give Josh Van the football in a place where he's going to catch it in space and just see what happens. Like, start there. Go from there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything, right? Like, they and we did we did talk about how the game against Georgia cannot be a horizontal game. At times, they did try to try to do that. I feel like we haven't exploited the middle of the field very much at all. We did a little bit against Arkansas. Who was What's missing the you know starting two safeties yeah. or whatever? Um, but to me, I mean, that's where you're able to find some mismatches, especially. Yeah, I mean, the corners that South Carolina has played this far and pretty pretty solid across the board. Um, but find some mismatches in the line against linebackers. You got Jaheim Bell who runs a four four. <laughs> you know, like yeah. get him running some crossing routes. Uh, get some of those receivers running crossing routes. Um, they definitely did a good, we talked about this. They did a good job of taking Antoine Wells away in this game. And then it didn't seem like they had any other answers once they took him away. Yeah. That goes back to what I, I was, we were saying last week that I think Wells is probably wide receiver one right now, just in terms of who has to, a, who has to be going well for the offense to be going well and B who Spencer Rattler trusts. He, mm-hmm. There were plays where he's looking at Wells and Wells was taken and he kind of panicked a little bit because I think that's just the guy he trusts the most with the ball right now. Um, maybe Corey Rucker getting back changes that. Maybe it doesn't. We'll see. Um, yeah, it's it's just finding an identity. And that's pretty much been the story of the first quarter of the season now. Um, yeah, you just, you've got two weeks now. You've got Charlotte, you've got SC State you got to figure out what works for you. Like I said, whittling that playbook down to what actually works for you before you get into a very difficult road game at Kentucky going into the bye week. Yeah. I just popped up that comment on YouTube, by the way, we go live twice a week, usually, you know, Sunday, Monday to review the game Thursday to preview the game. Um, but yeah, happy, happy, happy on YouTube. So the honeymoon is over for Beamer and the staff. They simply cannot compete. Uh, X is no, and X's and O's in the SEC. Um, I'm not going that far. Again, we did talk about how they just played the two two of the three hardest teams on their schedule. They just played two top 10, 15. I mean, right now they're both top 10 uh, teams. And, you know, you I, I expect it to be one and two at this point. I think most people expect it to be one and two at this point. But you struggle these next two weeks. You don't find a way to, I don't know, pull one out against – Kentucky, Texas A&M, or Florida, which are that maybe that next tier up, maybe Tennessee, the next tier up games. Um, I think there's going to have to be some some tough discussions, and I think you know I'm not ever going to call for anyone's anyone's job or anything like, like that, but I, I do think that Beamer's going to have to take a hard look at this offensive staff um, if these consistencies 
inconsistencies continue because we talked about before the season last year they placed a lot of the blame on the quarterback situation seemingly you fixed that right or, or they think they trust they fixed that um it's still not working so do you notice by the way that beamer kind of hesitated when he was asked after the game if spencer's still the starter like he didn't fully answer that and then he got another question and then he had to come back to it and say spencer's the quarterback um I thought that was interesting, even though I don't think he ever seriously would consider benching Spencer, but he had to think about it for a second when someone asked him. Yeah. I mean, at best, that's probably just like, uh, you're, you're not thinking at that moment of the question, but maybe, maybe subconsciously, um, there's starting to be a little bit of frustration there. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how to talk about be. it. You're, you're talking about five picks in three games and I'd say four of the five were bad decisions that you put on him. Yeah, uh, that's that's really what it comes down. To. I I sent you guys that stat on Slack yesterday. I don't have the specifics anymore. I, but I, I think it was like Spencer Rattley threw five picks in his last eleven games at Oklahoma, and he's already thrown five in the first three at South Carolina. Um, yeah, the question is, is that because the competition he's played in Arkansas and Georgia are probably better defensively than a lot of defenses he's played in the Big 12, or is that the scheme isn't working for him? We've talked before that, and I know, like he, the the reason that he came here, right, is he wants a pro career. He felt like Marcus Satterfield runs this pro style offense. He might prepare him for this um, sort, like might be to put on tape that he could run a pro style offense. But it seems like most of the time that he's had good moments uh he's running more like spread concepts he's doing some hurry up it's been the two minute drill sort of stuff at what point do you just say like hey i would love to prepare you to run the pro offense but maybe we need to cater to you a little bit you know yeah that's what another thing i have in the notes here that you talk about charlotte and sc state i expect and maybe if you're south carolina fan you would hope to see more tempo in these two games because satterfield talked about how they wanted to after georgia state he was saying they wanted to get more tempo they did it on that first drive of the season, which feels like two years ago now, but it was only two and a half weeks ago where they were getting first downs, running tempo before that stalled. Again, you're playing Charlotte, you're playing SC State, you should be moving the ball well, you should be picking up chunks pretty easily, you're moving the chains. I think we're going to see more tempo this week. And maybe Spencer looks better than that, even though it might be hard to gauge against those two defenses. Yep, we will We will have to see. I mean, you your offense only scored 21 against Georgia State. And Georgia State just lost to Charlotte. So, you know, if you your offense can score them more than 21 against Charlotte, maybe at least you're starting to feel a little bit better. But that number um, should start with a four. I'm just going to be honest with you. That number, that final score Saturday should start with a four or a five against Charlotte. They're giving up 600 yards a game right now on average almost. Yeah, I I can't disagree with you. Um, yeah, perhaps we should have known going that Georgia was going to have their way with the defense, given all the in- injuries. Um, like I said, we kind of were in the range of their um, score, but I think you can still be critical of the offense, even against the best team in the country, even against the team that only gave up three points to Oregon, who you know looked a lot better on offense the other the other night too. Um, there, there seemed like there were some opportunities, at least early in that game, that did not get taken advantage of. That's that's something that we just have continued to see. Um, only other takeaway I have from this game is Brock Bowers is absurdly good. <laughs> He's he is yeah, very I mean, very good. That that I mean he had the seventy yard touchdown, but that touch that he caught over O'Donnell Fortune in the back corner. I mean I thought Fortune had pretty good coverage, and mm-hmm. it didn't matter. 
took a handoff for the first touchdown too. Just a crazy athlete, sophomore. I mean, that whole tight end room, I wrote about it last week during the week going into the game, but we didn't even see that much of Darnell Washington. Eric Gilbert didn't even make the trip. Um, we saw Oscar Delp catch the last touchdown. And that was probably a particularly salt one, salty one for Gamecocks fans. Um, that tight end room is just, it, yeah, four or five deep, and they're all incredible. That's it. Um, all right, anything else that you have on Georgia before we take a second to look at Charlotte in the next two weeks? Let's see. Um, happy, happy, happy said in the Georgia game on almost every play, our DNs were out of position. Linebackers and secondaries had no clue where the ball was until 2030 down the field. That's bad fundamentals and coaching. Yeah, the um, linebackers, I would agree with that. The linebacking play has been, even without Mokaba, which I know that doesn't help, that's been probably, is it fair to say the linebackers have been the worst position group for South Carolina through three games on either side of the ball? Because I think that probably I th- is. I think that that's fair. Yes. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know if that's due to the scheme. I don't, I do know that the recruiting under Muschamp for, of the linebacker position definitely struggled a bit. And I think we're starting to see some of those depth issues. I think you got some help coming. Um, Stone Blanton got some work uh, on Saturday. That's a tough spot to be in as a true freshman. He, you know, he didn't look completely out of uh, his element, but he also, you know, didn't look, particularly better than anyone ahead of him at this point yet either. Um, but you got Stone Blanton on campus, who I think will develop into a good player. You have um, Puff Howard coming in, who has been just lighting it up on Friday nights. I think he's going to be uh, huge for this defense, both from an athletic standpoint, but also just from a leadership standpoint. I don't know if um, Gamecock fans saw it this morning, but he already tweeted out you know, a, a little positive um tweet this morning where he had the picture where like 18 of the 20 commits were on campus this weekend and said basically like South Carolina helps coming. <laughs> and it's, it's true. I mean, I do think we need to keep in mind that this is game three of year two. You played probably the, the two toughest games of the Beamer era back to back just now, except for maybe Georgia last year, maybe Clemson last year. Um, Two of the toughest games of the Beamer era, back-to-back. And, yeah, I mean, we're one and two, sitting exactly where we kind of thought we would be. I think the next several weeks are going to tell us a lot more about whether or not this team has grown from last year than the first or the last two weeks have. Yeah, my only other note on the Georgia game, just quickly, would be the third downs. Again, you know, you're not expecting miracles there. Nobody thinks they're going to rip off 80% on third downs against Georgia. But big problem against Georgia State, big problem against Arkansas, Big problem against Georgia. That's those third downs still aren't really going the way they should be. Um, we did see more of Marshawn Lloyd on third downs this week. I believe I, it's in the stats piece tonight. I'm not going to spoil that, but he he was kind of the big target on those plays this week. Um, that's another part of the identity that you're talking about keeping drives going. They got to figure out what works on those third down situations. Oh, and to me, that's still getting the run game more involved, right? You still haven't given yourself a lot of third and manageable opportunities so you're putting spencer Rattler, who we've seen doesn't handle pressure all that well uh in these situations on third and long where he's going to have guys in his face because the line has been shaky as well um i think over the next two weeks you have to get something going in the run game but you also can't only do that because i'm pretty sure you could just line up and run the ball 100 times against charlotte and win the game yes you probably could i watched Georgia um, State do that, but... They didn't win, but that's what they did on offense yeah 
yeah, uh, but I don't know that that tells us a whole lot about how this offense would look heading into the SEC schedule. I think you have to be multiple, um, but there's no doubt you need to get the run game going. So yeah, that does kind of transition us to the last section here that we're going to talk about today. Um, what, do you, what do you need to see the next two weeks? What are you looking for? Because obviously, South Carolina should win the next two games, should go into Lexington, Kentucky, three and two. Um, but just winning these games, I don't think is necessarily enough. What specifically are you looking for? Yeah, we hit we hit on a couple of the things. We hit on the running game. We hit on the third downs. One that we haven't hit on yet that I think you really need to see is a quicker start on offense. South Carolina still has not scored a first quarter touchdown in three games, and they got shut out in the first quarter in two of the three. They got the one field goal on the second possession at Arkansas. But other than that, I mean, nothing on offense. They're hitting big plays, I guess. They had the chunk to, I believe it was Lloyd against Arkansas, and obviously to Bell against Georgia we talked about. They're moving the ball in the first quarter. They're not scoring in the first quarter. Um, you have to start putting points up early. That's to help your defense. That's to get your pass rushers in a better situation for creating passing downs for your opponent. That's for confidence. You talk about that with Spencer, getting him in more of a groove. Yeah, I'm not going to like – Sometimes things can be a little bit binary, but you need at least one first quarter touchdown Saturday on offense, not defense, not special. You need the offense to put the ball in the end zone and within the first or second possession, I think, against Charlotte to feel to feel better about things. Yeah, the, that's no doubt. And and that's the other thing where we were talking about this, this game script thing. And generally, offensive coordinators um, have the first 10, 15, whatever, plays scripted so the fact that those aren't working that, that thus far like there's been no quick start thus far there's been very few quick starts um throughout marcus satterfield's entire tenure thus far um to me that's a gotta be somewhat of a preparation issue right like you're looking at the film you're trying to understand what your opponent's going to do and then you're making a game plan based on that if you're not having success in those first couple of series then something's going wrong even before the game gets started. Yeah, it's, it's going wrong during the week. And, you know, I try to ask Beamer about, like, their game week preparation, if they're looking at changing anything. He said they evaluate everything after every game. I kind of asked him if they were looking to change things after this week, after two straight losses. He kind of sidestepped it. I figured he would. But, um, yeah, it's got to it's gotta be a quicker start. We talked about that in the road games especially. It was 21-3 at Arkansas. It was – 14 nothing, but Georgia going in for 21 when the first quarter ended um, on Saturday. And it was 0-0 at the end of the first quarter against Georgia State. So you got to get off to a quicker start. you got to get off the jump. And that's also where you need your third-year starter, fourth-year overall in college football quarterback to get the team going early, to jumpstart him. Because he knows he's been here before. He's been in a lot of different situations from Oklahoma and South Carolina now. And you need a quicker start. There's no other way to say it, but yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks. We'll have a full preview of Charlotte on Thursday, probably again around the same time, 3 p.m. Eastern, maybe 2 p.m. Eastern, something like that. Um, so definitely follow us on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, um, follow us on whatever podcast uh, provider you listen to us on and we'll have that ready to go um thanks happy 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 for popping Thank in you. on the youtube Appreciate channel it. and uh leaving comments yeah, anytime we're live feel feel free to pop on and we'll try to answer questions or um, comment on whatever you guys are commenting on i definitely want this show to be interactive with the people 
that are watching it. Um, all right. Anything else positive to say? I do want to try to end on a positive note. I feel like we were pretty pretty harsh here. I feel like a lot of some of the stuff that we've written the past couple of weeks, uh, not past couple of weeks, past a uh, couple of days has been a little harsh. It's hard to have very good vibes. You lose by 40 points at home. Um, I Obviously, I mean, we saw Jane Beamer after the game on Saturday. He was not happy. Um, the, the staff is not happy. The players uh, are not happy. But... Um, I do, if, if I'm giving a positive, I, if, I, if I'm going to trust anybody, I do trust Shane Beamer to sort of get the locker room back, get this culture um, back. That's something that he's very good at. Um, and not that I'm saying that he's lost the locker room or anything like that, definitely not. Um, but I think that he, if anyone can kind of take these two negative weeks, turn them into something positive, get everyone kind of on the same page, moving in the right direction. I do think can be more a good candidate for something like that. Yeah. Um, and my positive kind of going back to the, um, thanks for the last comment. Happy, happy, happy. Hope you uh, join us again on Thursday. Um, my other positive going back to what we saw post game Saturday, Juju McDowell, who was the last player we spoke to um, in the media room after the game, he kind of gave an analogy about like, Okay, once you get off the field, once you take off your gear, once you shower, you're washing off that game. Once you get out of the shower, it's next week. It's next week. I think that's a combination of Juju McDowell being – or the, the reason you'd feel positive, the combination of him being one of the best players for South Carolina so far this year, and he seems to have the mental perspective that this is a long season. There's nine or ten if there's a bowl game, nine or ten games to go. Um I do think everything we realistically thought they could do before the year is still on the table. I think we both, you predicted eight and four. That might be a bit of a stretch now. Um, I had seven and five. I think that's still possible. Um, and that's what Juju McDowell is saying. They just got to get ready for Charlotte. You can't do anything about Georgia now. It's, it's on to Charlotte and trying to get back to two and two here. Yeah. I actually really liked speaking to Juju McDowell. And I guess that'd be my last positive point um, kind of on the same note is he was talking about leadership and he was saying that a lot of the young guys are starting to feel like they're stepping up as leaders. Now you can say that that may be making a comment about some of the older guys. Granted, Shane Beamer and the staff didn't recruit those older guys. Um, I think there's a lot of talent uh, in the older guys that the previous staff um, brought on that Shane Beamer did a good job of kind of keeping around. But one thing I have noticed attitude wise between these freshmen and sophomores is there does seem to be a lack of quit in them. Um, we talked about him and Worry. He played hard all game long. I thought Juju played really hard, even in garbage time, like we were talking about. Um, DQ Smith got thrown into a tough situation. I thought he played hard. Um, so we are seeing some resilience in some of these young guys. These are the guys that Beamer and staff specifically sought out to bring onto campus. Um, everyone that I've interacted with in 2023 class so far seems to have a little bit of that same attitude. Um, and I think if you're going to turn this program around, you got to get those sorts of guys in here that realize, yes, it's an uphill battle, but I'm going to take this on myself to start climbing that hill. Yep, sure. All right. Well, we'll be back here on Thursday um, around the same time. We'll go live again. Until then, this has been Alan Cole and Caleb Alexander with the GamecocksGroup.com podcast. See you next time.